Good evening, everybody. Hey, my name's Gary, and it is great to be with you. How many of you were blessed this morning by Brian's ministry? That was unbelievable. Thank you, bro. Uh, I came to Christ in 1982 at the Harvard of the West, uh, and I began my, at Sacramento State, if you weren't here this morning, and I began um, walking with the Lord. In 1983, uh, I went to a national ministry with a, a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. It was called KC83, and my favorite speaker of KC83 was none other than Crawford Loritz, and uh, he was amazing, Brian's dad, and uh, through his preaching, through his print, uh, he has poured into my life. He doesn't know me, but I, I have always uh, just so respected him. And when I heard Brian was coming to the Bay Area, it was like, it was like you know, uh, I haven't served in the military, but it was like, uh, I imagine, like in a war, hearing that reinforcements are coming. Because uh, I have such a respect for Crawford and had heard about Brian. And uh, I am so excited to be here with him and with you. Um, Brian had a saying, I wrote it down, uh, good black don't crack. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'm 100% Italian, actually have dual citizenship, and uh, we have a saying, the Italian home, I'll, I'll give it to you in Italian, uh, it is buon italiano, no mangia olive garden. <laughs> good Italians don't eat olive garden. <laughs> I think it's the same thing, I don't know. But I have a feeling we're going to have a great week together because uh, it's all about Jesus and God. And as we crack God's word, we really believe, I know Brian believes this, that God's work, God's word does God's work. And so our hope, my prayer, is that this would really be a safe place for you. I know we're all coming from different places because I know Jesus has been a safe place for me since 1982. And um, as the word is opened, our hope is that we put Jesus central and we're all on that journey towards Christ and uh, that we would be open and authentic with, with each other. What we get here tonight, you just can't get on a podcast or, uh, you know, we're, we're life on life looking each other in the eyes saying, the peace of God be with you. The word open in community, uh, it is unbelievable. It's why God's hand has been on this place for over 100 years. It's unbelievable. So I am excited to join in the tradition of cracking open God's word with the hope that you leave this week shaking your head in awe and going, what a savior. Jesus is unbelievable. I want to follow him the rest of my life. That's my dream. Uh, meet my family. Uh, this is, uh, these are our girls. Uh, my wife is here. We've been married 20, coming up uh, 28 years. And uh, these are the girls. So our youngest is in the middle, Jojo. Uh, she hails from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and she's been with us for six years. She's 10 years old. Uh, Bella is here in the front row. She's back uh, right. She's a senior in high school. Um, Elizabeth is uh, down here. She's a senior at the University of Georgia. The other two are off payroll, everybody. <laughs> yes, out of college and gainfully employed. And uh, one in Oregon, one in Kentucky, Hannah, Mary Courtney. Uh, they are awesome. They are awesome. So let me pray for us, and we're going to dive in. Oh, by the way, if you don't have a field guide, I created something for you, and uh, Andrew's coming down. Slip your hand up. Uh, I know in my life, mental ink fades quickly, and i got to write things down. And so um, just raise your hand. He'll get that to you. You can pray with your eyes open while your hand's raised. It's okay. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time. I pray that you would be honored in our time together. You would actually be glorified 
And you know what we're praying, that you would emerge from the pages of scriptures. It's living, it's active. Jesus, we want to see you as you really are. So Lord, through the millennia, through, uh, through the different culture we're in, in the West, we pray that you would be glorified as we dig into this living word and your encounters with people. Pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. 39,600 is the article, how it started, that I read a couple weeks ago. That's how many seconds a day the average American spends consuming media. 39,600. That's 11 hours a day now. Looking at smartphones, tablets, screens, and laptops. 39,600. 11 hours a day in America. Uh, the article goes on quoting the World Health Organization and the epidemic that this is causing and the way we relate to each other. And it says, it appears grown-ups are the ones with the real screen time problem. A recent report found that adults check their smartphone on average 150 times a day. It's pretty obvious our screen is excessive. Technology is addictive, and we should probably stop spending half our day staring at these rectangles. This is all over the news, and there's a lot of studies. They actually created the first addiction center for screen addiction in America a couple years ago. And the article, I'll read it in a minute, goes on to say it's wreaking havoc in what we just did, passing the peace face-to-face. -face. We see images like this popping up on the Internet, uh, real images that will come in a minute. There we go. Look at this. In front of a whale. Last week... One of our own Peninsulites, uh, someone on the peninsula, actually he is a um, public defender on the peninsula. He was in Pamplona running with the bulls. Uh, and he thought that would be a good time to take a selfie. And he got gored by a bull through the neck. Uh, it missed an artery, it missed uh, his bone, it went into his cheekbone actually. And uh, now I'll just play my cards. Three years ago, I, I was in Pamplona running with the bulls. Most exhilarating experience of my life. What in the world are you doing looking at a smartphone when 12 bulls are running after you at full speed? We've got a problem. And the article goes on to say, less obvious, however, is this. What should we look at instead? If we look at our smartphones and television way too much, we're not, what are we not looking at enough? We see more than ever we have before, the article says. Through the screen, we get to see more than anything we have before, yet our capacity to see what is real, true, and beautiful is occluded like never before. Would you agree? I'm hoping for the whole week at night to take us face to face. I'm praying that we could step into the pages of Scripture in the New Testament through the four biographies on the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we could see Jesus as he really is. I mean, like close-up, HD, living-colored Jesus. The Holy Spirit can do that. And then as we turn our gaze from his face, we'll face others with Jesus' vision. Seeing people as Jesus does. That's where I'm going this week. And I want you to open up to page one in your field guide. We're going to, page two actually, we're going to look at his first encounter. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. 
and look at Jesus with the leper. It's amazing to me as I read the Gospels and, and look at the life of Christ, how he sees people most people in the church today don't want to see. He runs to people or turns to people or touches people most people in the church today run away from, don't want to touch, would rather not be bothered by. This is a fresh study that I'm actually still going through this summer. I'm giving you fresh manna tonight and this summer. It's, it's building and growing me. And I want you to see the first story that we're going to go through, Jesus and the leper. Let me ask you a question as we start. Have you ever heard the term upcycling? Upcycling? It's all over Etsy. It's all over Pinterest. It's all the buzz. As a matter of fact, someone from our church just today texted me and said, hey, there's an Etsy store called Saved and Redeemed. It's an upcycle store. I put the definition in the bottom of page three. Upcycling is the process of convert. This is not a Christian definition either. It's from hipcycle.com. I don't pretend to be a hipster, okay, but hipcycle.com. Do I look like a hipster? No. Come on, man. You just offended me. No. Okay. Um, upcycle, hipcycle.com. The process of converting discarded materials into something useful and beautiful. The process of converting discarded materials into something useful and beautiful. See, recycling takes consumer materials, breaks them down so that their base materials can be remade into new products, often of lesser quality. Upcycling isn't breaking down materials. You're restoring them and repurposing them for a purpose typically better than the original. Uh, I was with uh, my daughter this weekend, the oldest daughter. She's 27. She lives in Bend, Oregon, works in a tech company. I just went for 48 hours, flew in just to hang out with her and, and jump in her world. And she brought me through her house in Bend, and she's like, look at this, Dad. And her whole, not her whole house, but many items in her house upcycled. There's pallets that now have a purpose as a, as a garden hanging in her backyard. There's furniture that she had that, that, that was a throwaway, but it now has a purpose. There's, there's old maps that have a, and hang on her wall that she's written over and created art on. Uh, there's clothing. It, everything is upcycled to her. See, with this face-to-face -face series, what we're going to see tonight and through the rest of the week is we're going to watch Jesus upcycle people upcycle people. And I want to ask you a question from the start. Look at the definition on page three. Do you really believe that Jesus would want to take your life and create it into something useful and beautiful? That's what he did in the gospels. He came to people that, that the religious culture of the day had discarded. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. You matter to God. Come to me and let me upcycle you. My friends, this is the gospel on full display. I'm praying as we eavesdrop that two things will happen. We'll see the pattern of Jesus. Here's the first thing that will happen. We would leave this mountain prioritizing, seeking God's face. This is where the title comes from. Seeking God's face. Uh, Bob Munger, does that name mean anything to anyone around here? He is like legendary here at Mount Hermon. 25 years at First Press Berkeley, Fuller Seminary, integral to here. I actually came to faith at Mount Hermon. Uh, your dad's book told me that. Uh, Roger Williams' book talked about that. His favorite verse in the Bible was Psalm 27.8. It says this, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. My hope is that when we leave here this week, 
we would be coming to the Lord and reorienting our lives around the face of Jesus. I don't know about you, but many times in my prayer life, I tend to come to the Lord to seek his hands. That's the definition of prayer for many of us. God, give me this. God, give me this. God, give me this. Yet in the scriptures, and we'll see in a minute in the life of Jesus, face to face, Jesus continually went to reorient himself around the face of God, his character. And then as we identify ourselves before the face of God, we would, my second agenda, is we would face others with Jesus-empowered vision or Jesus lens, Jesus' vision, as I said. Apostle Paul said, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Can you imagine what would happen if the church had that as its moniker? Brian hit on it this morning. It doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter your prestige. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter what you drive. In the church, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. It's how Jesus lived. So face to face, face to face. Let's do some aerobics, everybody. Come on, join me. Face to face, face to face. That's our hope, and that's where the title comes from. And it's the end that we're trying to get as we would display God's face as we face our neighbors, face our friends, face our families who desperately need an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus has left us here to be that encounter. So last Friday night, as I was uh, visiting Hannah, I was so honored, actually. She said, Dad, I've, I've called my friends, and I told them we're going to this grassy area. There's live music and band right on the river, and I want you to meet them. I want them to meet you. I was so grateful for that time. And as we sat there and the music was playing, all of a sudden her friends started to come. And I was so proud, and I am, of who my daughter is. Her first friend, uh, Hannah's an adventurer when she's not working, and mountain climber and, and uh, you know, tons of adventures. Her first friend was a climber, and we started talking. Then all of a sudden someone came in who identified as a Hindu man, and then a, a woman came who identifies as a Jewish woman, and then a man came who was a rock climber, real good rock climber, at 35 fell 40 feet from a rock and became a paraplegic at 35. He'd given up on God as we started talking. And yet this is my daughter's squad and tribe, and then people who identify as followers of Christ were there, and together we were a community for one night. And it was so awesome just to meet her friends, and she didn't say, come meet my dad, the pastor. She left that part out, and so as we'd be talking, they'd at some point go, well, what do you do? I go, I'm a pastor, which in the West, especially in Bend, Oregon, I might as well have said, I'm a witch doctor. I sacrifice goats. What do you do? Um, <laughs> one of the people said, a pastor? They pay you full time for that? <laughs> what do you do all day? But it was, it was so beautiful to see in my daughter's eyes and with the Jesus-empowered vision together. We may have had different faiths. There may have been some who were children of God, but all bared the image of God that night. And I remember engaging, especially I just sat down with the, the paraplegic and talked with him for a long time. And he just, you know, as he found out I was a pastor and there was safe space, just shared his pain. And as we talked and talked and talked, and as I left for the night, he stayed there and Hannah and I were leaving. He said, hey, I, I never knew Jesus was like that. That's the hope. 
That's not a Gary story. That's a God story of coming, ready for this, in unexpected places, in unexpected ways, Jesus showing up. He wants to do that through us all. And here's a place where Jesus did. Mark chapter 1. Let's jump in. Mark chapter 1. We're going to start a little above because I want you to see how Jesus lived face to face. And then we'll walk through the story, okay? Uh, let's look at that first priority, seeking God's face. We'll start in verse 35. Everyone there? Mark 1, 35? Everyone there? Okay, here we go. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to where, church? Solitary place, where he what? Prayed. This happened to be the custom. Luke talks about this in another place, and it says, as was his custom. As was his custom. Jesus had a habit of getting away, getting alone, and praying. What did he pray about? We have some hints in the gospel. Uh, in Mark chapter 16, we actually have a prayer of Jesus where he got, I'm sorry, Mark 14, verse 36, he got before the Lord, and the first thing out of his mouth was this, Abba, Father. Before I ask anything, I want to orient myself before you as you really are. You're my good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Later on, the disciples in another place, another um, biography, asked him, how do we pray? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus said, okay, you want to know how to pray? Let me tell you. Start this way. Our what? Father. Jesus had a habit, it says it was his custom, of getting away and before he sought God's hand, he sought his face. I think, and I'm learning more and more, prayer is all about orienting myself under, in the authority of, in the position of a good, good father. So Jesus is in this solitary place, reminding himself, I am your child, you're my father, you love me, you sent me on mission. What do we have going today? Lord, here's, this is my habit. Here's my agenda. You call any audible. God has an amazing habit of calling audibles when I give him my agenda. Do what you want with me. So he's praying. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus wasn't out to win a popularity contest. Jesus didn't really care or concern about what the people thought. So he says, okay, we got to go somewhere else. we got to go to nearby villages. Jesus lived most of his life, most of you know this, in rural Galilee. Brian talked about Bakersfield, um, kind of rural Galilee, like the Bakersfield of Israel. 240 villages at the time, historians say, in rural Galilee. And Jesus is like, I'm too good just for one village. I've come so the whole world would know me. So let's go somewhere else too. That's why, uh, so I can preach also. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, driving out demons face to face. Okay, so we just saw Jesus as a habit before the face of God. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus was perfect, and for some reason he felt like he needed on a regular basis, as a habit, is, as was his custom, to get before the face of God as a perfect human. As I say to my church, the most human human who ever lived because he was never tainted by sin. 
Why do I think I don't need that? As a pastor, uh, as I talk with people and I give the GG challenge, Gary Gadini, the GG challenge, 1% of your day, if you're not in the habit, 14 minutes a day, get before the face of God. Just start there. I promise you, you won't end there. You just start there. And I don't want to be legalistic about this. God doesn't love you any less if you're not before the face of God. He doesn't love you any more if you are. God loves the world. But this is about you orienting yourself and understanding the revelation of God. And if Jesus made this a priority, I don't know, if I was Satan, I would get people so busy that they wouldn't have time for that sort of thing. I'd make them think it's an outdated book. I'd make them think prayer doesn't work. I'd make them think prayer is just asking God for things. Jesus made this a priority, church. We need to, too. Grace to everybody. Let the Holy Spirit convict you around that. Now, he goes out publicly. Let's look at this. So let's take our page four. Let's take our uh, up um, upcycling up uh, definition, and let's put it into this story. Let's see how he's spent time before the face of God and how he's going out. Converting discarded materials. Mark 1, verse 40. Here we go. So he's going to other villages. You know the context now, right? A man with leprosy came to him, and he begged him on his knees. Um, the, the other biographer, Matthew, refers to this in a term he uses, Luke uh, I'm sorry, Mark just keeps him on his knees. Matthew said he went even further. Uh, he used the word for worship, actually, proskuneo. He, he completely laid out before the Lord. This is a public setting. Jesus is walking maybe to or from a synagogue, and this leper breaks through and just lays down before him on his knees. This is a desperate man. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. Some of you have filled with compassion. Some of you have took pity. We'll build that out in a minute. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. I wonder how long the pause was between the touch and his voice. I wonder if Jesus just, just held him, didn't say a word. And it got really awkward in the crowd, but not to that man who was desperate, and not to Jesus. And he just held him and said, I'm so willing. You took such a risk to break through the crowd to come to me. You were so desperate, not knowing what I would do. I'm so willing. Come here, let me hold you. You're clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him. He was cleansed. Let's build this out. Leprosy in those days, maybe you know it. It's called Hansen's disease today. It wasn't just a physical disease. It was a total condition because of the socio-religious cultural um, uh, boundaries of the day that affected you. The, the disease affected you physically, it was, uh, and it affected you socially, and it affected you spiritually. And it left the person uh, who had it, the identity of being completely discarded, garbage. It affected you physically because it was a bacteria that, that numbed your nerves. 
So you'd be numb to touch and numb to uh, pain and you'd cut yourself and bleed out and pretty soon the bacteria would go into your organs and eyeballs would fall out. I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just letting you know what was going on and teeth would fall out and, and limbs would, would be bare and pus would be oozing. You would look in the mirror if they would have them and just be completely disgusted with what happened. Others would look at you and just completely gasp and be disgusted. The other biographer, Luke, in chapter 5, verse 12, talking about the story, says this leprosy had completely engulfed him. He was full of leprosy. This wasn't the beginning stages. This was near the end. This guy was completely engulfed in leprosy. Now, you were discarded socially because you were so contagious, and they wouldn't allow you, the, the religious culture of the day, especially in the Galilee, you could not go near people. The Roman Empire, you couldn't go near people. You had to stay isolated from everyone you could love and did love. The only place you had to go were the solitary places. They kicked you out of community completely. Total emotional isolation from community. And I wonder about this guy. Did he have a wife? Did he have a family? Friends, our culture, uh, I believe, I think you would too, is completely over-sexualized. As if we can't live without sex. You can live without sex. Some of you here are celibate and living a full life. What you can't live without is intimacy. That's what's so beautiful about holding each other and passing the peace. That's why I say we get here as the family of God, what you can't get on a podcast, intimacy, face-to-face. This man was completely, completely pushed away from any hope of intimacy. And any intimacy he had was done away with. If they came near an inhabited place or, they saw, or you saw someone coming near an inhabited place, the leper would have to call out, unclean, Unclean, unclean. Rabbinic law said if you were upwind or downwind, you had to stay 50 to 150 feet away from a leper. Imagine living that life. How many of you would love just to have a moniker over your head, a scarlet letter, by the biggest shameful thing in your life, just on full display for everybody? That was this man's life. Physically being eaten away, socially being discarded without intimacy. And by the way, I I would just tell you, and I'm sure you know this, but word on the street outside our churches is that term unclean is the banner that's over every parking lot of the church, of how the church views the unchurched. I'm not putting this on you, but I'm just saying, as I mingle with people, my my gifting happens to be to hang out with unchurched people. And when they really feel it's safe, boy, do they give me an earful. Jesus never went around the villages saying, hey, you're unclean. Wow, you're unclean. You're unclean as an identity. Always talked about it as behavior, but not an identity. Big difference. And then they were discarded spiritually. The prevailing religious thought was that lepers were cursed by God. So, of course, they were excluded from synagogue. They were excluded from the temple. 
from their only hope of getting clean. The religious gatekeeper said, no, you can't come in. We do know this. This man was Jewish, because look at verse 40. If he was Roman, he would say, if you're willing, you could heal me. He's not really even asking for that. He wants that, but look what he's asking for. If you're willing, you would make me what? You would allow me religiously to be back into community. He is starved for community as a Jewish man. And we are too. Who are the lepers in your life? Who are the lepers on your street, in your city, that you come across and turn away from? That because of uh, behavior, because of how they look, or because of how they dress, or because of whatever, you want nothing to do with them. You've written them off. There's some people here who live in the city I live in, Revit City, and I live on the best street. I have the best neighbors. They're here across the street. There they are. And, um, but next to them is another neighbor, uh, and honestly, um, I'm not going to go into the demographic, but for a number of reasons, it's just they're EGR people, extra grace required people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, and don't fit the, uh, the socio-demographic of the community, of our, of our street even. And it's just, you know, it's just bothersome because they, how do I say this? It, it's, you know, you're, you're kept up late, you're bothered, you, at, at certain points, I'll just leave it at that, okay? Last week, uh, my espresso machine broke. And I went to Pete's to go get uh, a, a cappuccino. Six in the morning, I was grumbling and going to Pete's. As I'm driving down to Pete's, I see that neighbor walking. And the Holy Spirit says, I've got a gift for you. I pull a U-turn, and I roll down my window. I'm like, hey, Josh, where are you going? He says, I'm going to work. I'm like, want to ride? And the first thing out of his mouth was this. I'm sorry, man, I'm smoking. I didn't ask anything about the smoking. Do you want a ride? Because I'd love a ride. He puts out a cigarette because somehow he thought I would be ashamed. He felt shame. And we're driving to work, and I want to tell you, for, and I, this is a confession. For the first time in a year, my neighbor became human to me. As we were riding to work, he let me know that it was 6 in the morning. He's working two jobs. So I won't be home till 10 o'clock tonight. And he said, man, I, I know we're, we're a hassle in the neighborhood. He said, you know, um, I was taken out of my home when I was seven years old and put in foster care. You have no idea how many. It wasn't like, he wasn't like apologizing. You just tell me it was a safe place. You have, you have no idea how many homes I've lived in. And so I went to Pete's. I'm like, you want a coffee, man? He goes, I'd love, I love a coffee. And over coffee, we were talking. He says, hey, I got a question. I see you in the morning at your dining room table when I leave for work. What are you doing? What are you reading? What's going on there? He said, man, I am just sitting before God and reminding myself of how much he loves me. And then the train whistle blew, the train he had to catch. 
And I had one second for one final thing. Because I got to go. I'm like, Josh, wait. I want you to know he loves you too. Off he went. See, that was my leper. And it took me a year to see him. But Jesus gave me a gift to break through the annoyance and, and be through the behavior and through all the other things because someone did that for me. I wouldn't be, be before you if someone didn't put up with my offensive language and my offensive behavior and continue to offer me good news of grace. This is this leper. His only hope is Jesus. He knew he would be, could be killed for doing this, going into community, but death was a better option than living the way he was. So look how he comes to Christ. He's completely desperate. He throws himself before Christ. He's humble. And here's what he's saying. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. You do what you see fit. But here's what I know. You can make me clean. In other words, he's coming to Christ with, and please write this in your notes, no conditions. No conditions. You're the Christ I need something I can't get on my own. You can do anything. I'm just before you, literally, remember Luke says, laid out before him. Do what you will or I die. We have five daughters, and I'm so grateful that we don't have entitlement in our family. It grates against me. How many of you love entitled kids? (laughs) But uh, two weeks ago, my 10-year-old Jojo Uh, lost her tooth, and this is actually what we found under her bed, the note to the tooth fairy. (laughs) That girl doesn't even know what 100 bucks is, and I'm like, what in the world? We laughed at that, but then I thought, how often is that my prayer life? Hey, God, here's what I want. Doesn't matter what you want. Doesn't matter if it's a gift. Doesn't matter, but give me this. This leper did none of that. In other words, Jesus, I'm coming on your terms, not mine. And I just want to say, if Jesus is who he says he is, how could I, how could you possibly know and understand yourself before you understand him? How could you know what you really need or want without understanding him? Because he defines everything. And so this leper's coming before Jesus going, you're the definition of life. If you're willing, you can make me clean. So there's the story from the leper's perspective, okay? Do you get it? Now, let's turn in the story, and let's look at it from Jesus' perspective and keep reading here, okay? What does Jesus view uh, of people we've discarded? Look at his response. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched him. Did Jesus need to touch him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Jesus wasn't touching him because his body needed it. He could heal the man by just giving the word. Listen, he was touching him because his soul needed it. There was healthy touch, much like we just experienced in the passing of the peace. But there's something interesting in verse 41. Look at it. It says, Jesus, we see into his psyche. What does Jesus think when he comes across discarded people, others that the church has thrown out? What's his thought? Look at this. Jesus my NIV 2011 says, was indignant. Some of you have the word compassion or move with pity. 
Uh, it's the same concept. It's, it's being so moved emotionally, it moves you to action to do something. Okay, I'm going to play my age right now. How many of you remember um, Popeye the Sailor Man? What a looker he was, right? <laughs> the story arc always followed the same line. Popeye would be going through his way. He'd be uh, pining for the affection of who? Olive oil. Going against who? Brutus, right? And at some point, Brutus would push the limits, and Popeye would say, it's all I can stand. I can't. Gosh, are you guys, is there any other Popeye fans here? It's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And he'd pop the spinach and become, like, really, anatomically, really, really weird. And, uh, and his strength would remedy the situation. Okay? It's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. That's what's behind that word indignant. It's only used like four or five times of Jesus in the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every time it was used, someone's life was changed, like the lepers. Jesus is, is so moved emotionally, something's going to be remedied. Something, someone's going to be upcycled. Uh, in our church, and we just have a mid-sized church, PCC. It's not a mega church. It's, it's a beautiful community. I've been there 23 years. I can't believe I get to do what I do. Um, but our best ministries have been moved and started by people in the pew who are indignant at injustice, spiritually or otherwise. It, they just reach this, it's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And bringing the gospel outside our church and upcycling people, whether it's uh, war veterans at the VA hospital in Palo Alto, street life, we're on the street four nights a week, feeding people on the streets, uh, on the peninsula, the kind of, well, you know this, many of you live there, 30% rise in homelessness over the last couple of years, uh, people on the streets, and, and we're bringing the gospel and food to the streets um, Redwood City Reads, uh, so many of our third graders are below level literacy. And some teachers came to me and like, it's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. We got to get these people to read. Um, and so a literacy program has started. I can go on and on and on and on, foster and other things. What's, the, what's, what's in the heart of Jesus when he comes across people that we've discarded or society has discarded? I want to believe more in us than that, that society's discarded. I want you to know he doesn't come to this leper and go, oh, you disgust me. Hey, you're not saying unclean. He holds him and says, that doesn't define you. And with that one touch, he said, here's what defines you. And the God of the universe, taken on flesh, brings his discarded flesh to himself. Because that's what upcycling does. It converts discarded material. Now, I've only got five minutes, so let me just take us through the back end. Page five. Let's keep reading and finish the story. Converting discarded materials, upcycling, into something useful and beautiful. Look what happens here. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Let me just build that out. The priest in the temple in Jerusalem, 70 miles away, was the public health official of the day. 
And so for him to be clean, he had to be declared clean by the religious public health official. And so get this, with that one touch and that one statement, Jesus is so powerful, this man was full of leprosy, suddenly muscle mass would grow that didn't grow in a long time. Blood vessels would flow. Eyebrows may have come back on. Appendages may have come back on. And he, in an instant, could go 70 miles to go get clean from the Galilee to Jerusalem. Go. He says, don't tell anyone, but go. But instead, look what happens in verse 45. He began to talk freely, spreading the news. Circle, please, these next three words. As a result. As a result. Let me just say, what this teaches me is we don't disobey in a vacuum. My sin doesn't just affect me. See, I'm in community with two of these women here. Uh, they have, you know, I have five daughters, a wife, and my sin affects my community. I'm part of a church community. My sin affects my church community. I'm in a neighborhood. My sin, my disobedience affects them. We don't sin in a vacuum. And look at this. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town openly, but he stayed outside in the lonely places. Maybe the leper didn't understand. Why can't I tell somebody? Why can't I do this? I feel like telling somebody. I need to tell somebody. I want to tell somebody. Jesus, I know better with my three-pound brain how to live my life than you do. So I'm going to do my life on my terms. That's the definition of sin. And because of that, it had a ripple effect as a result. 1 John 1, 9 says that sin can be forgiven in an instant. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But James 5, 16 says that if we confess our sins one to another, we get healed. And that community can be restored. So at the end of the story, Jesus has switched places with the leper. Jesus started in the village. The leper was in a lonely place. As Mark ends this story, Jesus is in the lonely place and the leper's back in community. Because that's what the gospel is. Jesus switching places with us. Charles Spurgeon called it the great reversal. I give you my life. I'll take on your pain, your sin, your disobedience. My friends, that is the gospel. And it's so good. Do you see what we have here? Look what it says in 2 Corinthians. I'll put it on the screen, 521. God made Jesus sin, who knew no sin. This is the gospel. And if you wonder what that means, the last two pages, I've tried my best with scripture to explain what that term gospel means, because I just don't think the gospel is a doorway you walk through to get into the Christian life and then close and just go on to better things. I think the gospel is like a, a lifeline that you suck onto with me or underwater as a deep sea diver that you breathe and live off every day. And so we have to renew our minds with this good news of the gospel. And here it is, my friends. God made him sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because here's the deal, and I'm going to close with this. What Peter said of Jesus is true today as true it was in the Galilee. In Mark chapter 1, everyone's looking for him. Everyone's looking for a functional savior. And we try to fill that void with 
uh, with things or with relationships or with career or whatever the dream is. But Jesus says, I'm so much a better savior than anything on this earth. As we close in prayer, I want to ask you a few questions. Can we just put that last slide and then I'll close in prayer? Who are the lepers in your life? Who is God convicting you that you're overlooking? What is your habit when it comes to you and God? Jesus had a habit. What is yours? What is prayer to you? Seeking God's face and hand or just going for his hands? How desperate are we as followers of Jesus coming to him? My friends, I bring this to you because life is found living face to face, face to face. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, you're unbelievable. Thank you for the way that you treated this person and the way you treat us. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts to define us and help us understand your unbelievable love and power to transform our lives. Give us a heart to come to you and find in you our hope and our healing. We pray in Christ's name. Everyone said, amen.